Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2020. This is Steve talking about Step 3. Hi Ron, I'm Steve, I'm an alcoholic. I'd like to start with thanking the committee for asking me to come share and be here for this lovely weekend. It's been great so far, I've really enjoyed listening to everybody, it's been great experiences shared. Um, I've really... Um, I'm always struck when I go to a new, a new state or a new part of Australia and just feel the positive energy of the fellowship, particularly when it's orientated around the 12 steps. Um, recently, my partner Nicole, who's in the rooms as well, we went to uh, Tasmania as a second time there and, and we're just, you know, overwhelmed with um, positive energy around recovery there. And we went to Perth and same thing. And um, here in Melbourne, um, I haven't been to Melbourne before for in my recovery. I have been here before in my drinking. I would like to say I have memories, but I don't. <laughs> I uh, drank and run amok and, um, and uh, yeah, that was my drinking. Um, I'm not going to go too much in my drinking story or, or step one or step two because it's been well covered already. So I'm just going to jump straight in to the third step. Um, I'm just going to share with you guys the way that it was presented to me. Um, if it's different to how you approach the steps or your, your, your belief of what the steps are, for it seems a little impersonal, I'm going to be reading from a big book a little bit. Um, whatever way is working for you to stay sober, please keep doing that. Okay. Um, at the same time, I found it helpful for myself and, and for others to have an open mind to different interpretations of the process and the 12 step, and particularly the big book. I've found over the years that I can have an experience of each page, come back to it years later and see something else I haven't seen before. And see, it looks like they keep putting new stuff in the book. Um, <laughs> I'm changing, my perceptions are changing, I'm you know, growing spiritually and perhaps I'm getting more and more open to see stuff. So I just encourage you to have an open mind. So with that, I'm just going to jump in. Okay. Um, I'm going to try, try and make as much eye contact as possible. Um, in most meetings in Australia, and I'm sure globally, um, it's traditional that we read a part of Chapter 5. Um, I remember when I was new, I, I would, it got to a point where people were, were reading it and I was just like, man, I could, I could like just recite this without even looking at the book. I was actually at one meeting where an old-timer did that. And I swear he didn't blink through the whole thing. It was kind of unnerving. So... Uh, Pretty sure I can do that myself, but I'm just going to read so it doesn't look weird for you guys. So, um, so um, what was shared with me is that when the big book, when we're talking about themselves, that really they're, they're trying to present it in a manner where I can relate to what they're saying. Yes, they're saying we, but really they're trying to gently say, how about you as well? So I was encouraged to look at these statements in the first person, ask myself, to turn a lot of the statements into questions, and it looks like this. So, have I really seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed these directions, this path? Have I seen anyone drink again who spends time with a 12-step process, spends time with a big book? I haven't. I've seen the opposite. I've seen people drink who haven't really tried to look at it. So, I agree with that. Can I see that those who do not recover, or perhaps I won't recover, 
if I can't completely give myself to this simple program. It says the program. It's like if I drink again, it's because I haven't given myself to this program. It's not because I haven't gone to enough meetings or I haven't done many other valuable suggestions. They're saying here clearly it's I haven't given myself to this simple program. These are usually men and women who are constitutionally or of the basic nature incapable of being honest with themselves. Can I be honest with myself? With respects to alcohol, alcoholism, what I've learned so far in the book. Can I be honest with myself around the fact that I'm bodily and mentally different? I had trouble doing that because I didn't understand what that meant whatsoever. It goes on to say, they're basically telling me here why people relapse. You know, I used to read this and just think to myself, well, it's not going to be me. It'll be the guy next to me. I've got a good program. I go to meetings. <laughs> All right? This is telling me why and how I will drink. I can't be honest with myself. All right? There are such unfortunates. They're not at fault. So when we start saying to people, you don't really want it, maybe that isn't the case. It's not their fault. They just constitutionally can't be honest with themselves. They want to, but they have a hard time doing it. They are naturally, or on their own power, incapable of developing a manner of living or a way of life which demands rigorous honesty. I can be honest in the first pass through the book, but can I continue to do that? Can I keep revisiting the fact that bodily and mentally I'm different? the obsession can return. I like to talk about this stuff like it's way back in the past and it can't ever be present again. It can be. And there are other parts of the process where I need to be honest with myself. You know, like, where am I currently at with my step work? You know, a good place I can hide is step 12. I can deliver this stuff and work with people and then completely ignore everything else I need to do about my own recovery. You know, so can I be continually honest with myself? You know? If I can't, drinks on the cards. They say here that with those people, their chances are less than average. They're not saying it's impossible, but it's less than average. Then it talks about other sorts of people who have additional issues as well. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. Do I? I have. I grew up in an alcoholic home. My dad drank himself to death. That happened in 2005. That left me with a lot of trauma, a lot of stuff that got buried in my unconscious that I didn't want, I couldn't look at. Um, I know some other people in recovery that's happened as well, where they just grew up in this in this stuff, and emotionally there, there is stuff there for me. That's not everyone, but you know. But I need to also acknowledge that within myself. But they're telling me some good stuff here next. They're like, well, that's okay, man, because. Many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Can I be honest? Right? Can I be open about that and look at these areas? Because then I have a chance. It all basically comes down to how honest I can be with myself. They go on to tell me how we share in meetings. They share in a general way what we used to be like and what happened and what we are like now. How was I? What happened in my life and what am I like now? Then they go on to ask if I've decided that I want what they have and are willing to go to any length to get it, long dash, right? 
am I willing to get any lengths to get this? Right, what does that look like? My ideas of a 12 steps are that what my sponsor has to live up to. Right, I, I don't know yet what's involved. They're about to tell me what's involved, what I need to do. You know. Then you are ready to take these certain steps. Certain as in proven, as in like they worked. That's why they put it in a book and laid it all out for us because it, they're proven to work. An interesting thing my sponsor got me to do at the time, which I later realised in step nine why he did it. It's kind of like entrapment. It's <laughs> like that little dash there, Steve, that's a place for you to just sign your initials there and date it. If you're willing to go to any lengths and take these certain steps, will you do that? Sure, man. Wasn't clever enough to ask what would be entailed. Didn't really pay attention when the next part got read, but I went, okay, signed it. Then later on in step nine, it said um, something to the effect of, remember at the beginning, you agreed to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. So when I was freaking out about amends I had to make, you went, well, Steve, let's go back to page 58. You said yes. <laughs> so um, that's what I do with people I work with now. So it, it's, a, it's a slight manipulation on my part, but it seems to, it seems to work. I think the book's doing that. But... Um, as it goes on, it lays out on page 59 what this program recovery is going to look like. Um, something interesting, when the book was first written, there was an early draft, it was called the original manuscript that Bill put together. Bill was a primary author of the big book. He wrote this draft, yeah, actually he dictated it and his secretary typed it out. So um, she'll be ended up with some arthritis later, many versions later. But, um, this thing was typed out and, and she actually typed out a few other copies and it was distributed to the original groups, Akron, New York and Cleveland, the first three original groups. And um, feedback was asked for, you know, so um, the groups, I guess, had a conscience. They wrote, they made suggestions. This was physically written out on this manuscript copy. And those copies, along with many others, some, uh, thank you, some um, psychiatrists, doctors, people of um, the clergy were asked to give suggestions and um, what ended up coming back was a lot of helpful stuff where it, the, the tone of the book was less directive and it was brought back to a place where it was more palatable for alcoholics because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like, you know, anyone starts telling me what to do in the book, I'm like, no. And uh, I shut the book. And um, so Bill softened the language, but some of the stuff that was in there originally, um, I think got to the point clearly and um, and some of those notes I'll, I was encouraged to put in my big book and, and here's, here's some of it. It ends on the A, Bs and Cs. Um, our description of the alcoholic, so they're referencing here what we've read through up till now. Our description of the alcoholic, step one, not my understanding of alcoholism, what the big book lays out, not psychoanalytical theory of alcoholism or treatment center ideas of alcoholism, the big book's understanding of alcoholism, our description of alcoholism. The chapter to the agnostic, so chapter four, which is step two, and your personal experiences, drunk and sober, have been designed to sell you three pertinent ideas. They wanted to sell us this, so like we, like we, we buy into what they're saying that A, I am drunk or sober alcoholic and cannot manage my own life. 
if I think my life's getting manageable because I've rocked up in AA and I haven't drank for a period of time, I don't understand step one. I don't. I don't. My alcoholism begins with spiritual disconnection that sets up a condition conducive for an obsession to return and it ends in the first drink. Sure, it goes on with many other drinks after that, but by that point, it, it starts long ago. B, the probably no human power could relieve my alcoholism. Hands up if anyone's a god in here. <laughs> Anyone a higher power, a, a deity? Do we have Jesus in the house? <laughs> We're all humans here. My sponsor's not going to get me sober. My sponsees aren't going to get me sober, keep me sober. My partner won't. My family won't. This is a good springboard into something, but if it stays that my fellowship is my higher power, the book many times says that I'm beyond human aid. Several times. So I need to look beyond another person or a group of people and see that God can and will if he was sought. So there's a responsibility there. Now they're asking me to seek God. Here's the great note that I think is just amazing that was in the original manuscript. So at the end of the A, B, and C, they say this. If you're not convinced of these vital issues, you ought to reread the book to this point or else throw it away. <laughs> Toss it. If you are convinced, you're now at step three. So the reason why I read all of that, and you're probably wondering, why didn't you start with step three? If you're not convinced of the A, B, Cs, there is no step three. If you don't believe that you can't keep yourself sober, you need a higher power to take you beyond that, why on earth would you, hand, would you make a decision to hand your will and your life over to that power which you don't believe in? That doesn't need to really help you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right. So next they say this, step three. Being convinced we're at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that and what do we do? Here's the first requirement, that I be convinced that, any, that my life run on self-will can't be a success. They give me this, this analogy here, a metaphor, I guess, probably a better way of looking at it, of an actor playing director. Um, they're trying to show me here, before I get into inventory and see the full breadth and depth of my life, right, in like, here's the whole play, here's the whole script in reality, Here's just a little game we're going to play with you, Steve, right? Think of yourself as an actor, right? An actor plays the role a director assigns. You may, you may win the parts, you get to play Peter Pan, right? Or any of the other characters, and then you are, you have your role confined to the description of what the director envisions and what it should look like. And... What I do in my life is that I'm meant to be this. The director wants me to behave that way. I think I can do my job much more effectively if I just do it the way I want to see it. And even more than that, I want to play God in each situation. So the director doesn't even get to do his own job. And I'm out there basically in most situations just um, not helping contribute things to what God envisions they should be, and instead I come in my own ambitions and distort the whole production. Everything just gets turned upside down. Later on it goes on to say that I'm a producer of confusion rather than harmony. You know, 
So you can imagine, man, if you get on stage, a great movie that I watched a while back, a friend of mine, we did a workshop a couple of months back, and um, we were talking about this, and my friend said, have you ever seen the movie Along Came Polly? And there's this scene where um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was um, meant to play Judas in a, uh, what was the movie? Um, Jesus Christ Superstar. And um, that was a play. And instead, his friends were in the audience, and because he was this child star years ago that everyone's forgotten about, he was embarrassed because he was, you know, he sold it to them that he was a star of a show. And they're in the audience, and suddenly he comes out and sings the lines of Jesus, and they all look at each other and are like, um, but you're playing Judas, what are you doing? You're not meant to be playing this role. And it's like, it was a great it was a great analogy of, of what we do. It's like we just we don't get that life is put together in a certain order where we're meant to all play our parts that were assigned. Instead we I impose parts onto other people. And basically what they're trying to show me here is that I play God and I don't do it well. Later on at the bottom of sixty two it says this. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God is going to be our director. God's going to be my director. He is a principal. We are his agents. He is a father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. Right? That's the decision. My previous understandings of step three was I would go to the prayer. I would read this prayer with a sponsor, we'd be praying. And I thought that was the decision. But I'd just say the prayer of a sponsor and get up and I would have this amazing experience and I would feel connected to power. And I got up off my knees, looked at him and he wiped the tear from his eye. He didn't, he just got up and made a cup of tea. <laughs> and um, I was like, I didn't feel anything. I didn't get that I only made a decision. So going back to 62, it's like, well, what is that decision? I'm finally getting clear about what the dynamic is going to be, this concept they call it. Okay, This is a concept of this relationship that I'm going to have. What's the dynamic going to be from this point onward? It's that I'm actually finally going to be an actor willing to take direction. Okay. If I have trouble making that decision, it's like, well, how good have I done living up to the role that I assigned for myself? I want to be a certain way. How good have I done doing that? How well have I done being a son to my father? How well have I done being a, a sponsor that a sponsee can look up to and be, be helpful to? How well have I done being a sponsee to a sponsor? Right? Or a good partner to my partner? How well have I done living up to who I think I should be? I haven't. How about now God tells me how I should be and who I should be in this role? Another thing is a, a principle, right? Kind of the same thing, right? It's it's how well have I done living up to, to this um, representing who I think I should be in a situation, right? What if I turn to God now and I let him be the boss and I'll be an employee to God? You know, 
So it's really just three dynamics of the same relationship. It's a decision that I want that. Going forward, the steps are going to allow me to, to actually make that a reality. The last one, which I really like, is a father and child. Okay. Um, one thing a father does is being a provider for his children, a good provider. My dad provided for me, even though he, he did ultimately lose his life to alcoholism. He was a good, he was a provider. There was a roof over my head. There was food in my stomach. I had a bed to sleep in. He provided. How well have I done providing what I need for myself? If I'm playing God here, how well have I done doing that? I haven't. Poorly. What if I turn to God and I trust that God will provide everything I need from this point going forward? Can I do that? Can I really go out there in life and, and, and commit myself to this spiritual basis of life and know that I'll be taken care of, whether I have money, anything? that I'll be taken care of, as a father would do for a child. And I make this decision that I want this relationship. That's all it is. I say the prayer as a symbol of his commitment, like an affirmation, and I do say that prayer semi-regularly, daily, but the essence of what I decided was only ever for me decided once, that I want this relationship with God. And I will do now whatever it takes to make that happen. Later on, at the end of the third step, they're going to say that this decision could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in me which are still there, right? To face that and get unblocked and gain access to this power. So with that, um, I'm looking forward to hear people share on step four, because in reality is if I don't face that stuff, all I had in step three was a, an idea of something I'm really not prepared to seek. So thanks so much for letting me share. Information about the Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available at stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au.